College Football Report through 1077 The Franchise. Dave Meyer, Grandy Heights. Pleased to be joined by Matt Tate with R1S1.com Sports. Matt, thanks for taking some time today, bud. Yeah, of course. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, of course, we've got a, uh, a matchup this week. Oklahoma travels to Lawrence to uh, take on the Kansas Jayhawks. Matt, a different vibe around the football team this year with Lance Leipold. Uh, I don't know if it's gone. Probably how the fans hoped it would. I think I was down in media days, a lot of excitement. I know that the quarterback situation has had a lot to do with that, but you guys have a couple of outstanding running backs with Highshaw, Neal, an elite running game behind a really good offensive line. How do you kind of see the matchup as a whole, you know, with OU coming in this week? Well, I, I think, yeah, that's a that's a great place to start because if Kansas can establish the running game, which is, you know, where they've been most successful and what they've done best, um, th- then that changes everything. It takes some of the pressure out of the passing game. It, it takes some of the pressure out of the defense and, and, you know, then all of a sudden you're, you're imposing your will, you're playing a, a physical pace that you like to play at. And, and so there's no question that that'll be a huge part of it. Um, not having Jalen Daniels in the lineup has been a, a, a blow to the running game in a sense because they did so much QB run stuff with him. And he had some wiggle. You know, Jason Bean's got great straight line speed, one of the fastest guys, if not the fastest guy on this roster. Um, but he doesn't have that same feel in the option and, and, and the wiggle and the timing and all that that, that Jalen does. And so that, in a sense, has hurt their running game a little bit, but um, that, that's just kind of inspired them to, to turn to, to Neil and, and Hyshaw and, and others too, but, but those two pri- predominantly, um, and, and just say, let's go get the tough yards. Let's go be physical and maul people, and, and they've had success doing that. Um, they didn't have a ton of success with that at Oklahoma State. And I'm sure that one, you know, two weeks ago they lost down there in Stillwater. That one game they should have won. There's no question in my mind they should have won that game. And so I, I'm sure having the bye week and two weeks to stew on that one, that's something that probably hasn't left their minds yet. But the running game was was bottled up a little bit there. You know, they, they passed for over 400 yards. The week before against UCF they ran for over 400 yards. So they're still trying to figure out how to find that balance where you know, they don't have to commit fully to one or the other, but they can have that complimentary football. And, and they've shown it at times, but obviously they're going to need it this week. And, uh, you know, their respect for the OU program and this particular OU team, um, you know, off the charts. They know they've, they're, they're facing a really good football team. And, and I think the thing that stood out from talking to Lance Leipold earlier this week was, you know, this, this thing is all about matchups in the Big 12, maybe always, but certainly this year. You, you don't look at the – the KU UCF score and then the Oklahoma UCF score and say, Oh, KU's going to win. Like it, it, you know, it really is about how the teams match up with each other and, and their strengths against strengths and, and things like that. And, and so, you know, maybe for the fans and, and some people in the media, that's one of those things that, wow, look at that score. KU might have more of a chance than I thought or whatever, you know, but I, I know from inside the program, they're, they're looking at this game the same way they looked at it when they started the season. Um, the same way they looked at it when the schedule came out. They know it's going to be a dogfight. They're going to have to play darn near perfect to, to beat Oklahoma. Hey, Matt, you talked a lot about there as far as the matchups and everything else, but when you look at what what's going on with Kansas as far as everything's concerned with, you know, Jalen Daniels and what's been happening with him and being out and Jason Bean, he's come in and played really well. What do you expect to see out of the quarterback position this year? Or this week? 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, last the update we got on Jalen the other day was was that you know doubtful to questionable, and and it, I think it was important that he used the word doubtful first because I don't think he's going to play. Um, I, I I think Jason Bean's going to start the game. I think he's the quarterback, and and I think that's probably the way this thing's going to go until we see otherwise. I mean, if you're a Kansas fan, you should probably expect that Jason Bean's going to be your starter the rest of the way. And if Jalen Daniels is able to come back, then that's gravy. Um, but Jason Bean's more than capable. Um, you know, again, he's not quite the, the, the same quarterback, but they do things the same way. And I know Andy Kolonicki, their offensive coordinator, it's not a real drastic change from one to the other in terms of the play sheet and what's called and how they approach their offense and all of that stuff. I mean, it's basically the same, the same attack, the same offense. Again, there's just a little bit of nuances there that, that each guy does this a little better or that a little better and, and that can factor in. But for the most part, it's the same offense. And so I think that helps Bean. I think that helps the O-line. I think that helps the receivers. Um, you know, all those guys can really just focus on, okay, well, it's the same thing no matter what numbers back there taking the snaps. And so I think Bean's the guy. I think he, he gives them, that again, with his speed, he gives them an option of, of really being able to hurt opposing defenses if plays break down because he can get out and just sprint to the end zone. Um, he's, a, he's an adequate passer. He's got a big arm as well. Um, the thing that maybe he lacks a little bit is just that touch. Sometimes he doesn't quite drop it in there where it should, doesn't put as much air under this pass or that pass as he should. Um, and, and those things can kind of can kind of hurt the offense and, and have led to some, you know, failed third downs instead of moving the chains. So it's uh, it's not a question of whether he'll be ready. Um, he's played a lot of football. He started a lot of games in his career, both here and at North Texas before here. So, you know, having a full week to prepare, he'll be ready. Um, and, and I think that's what, what probably Oklahoma should be prepared for and, and fans should be prepared for and everybody. I'll be, I'll be surprised if Jalen plays. Let's say that. Matt Tate with R1S1.com Sports joins us. Matt, uh, it, you know, most of the excitement coming into this year was centered around Jalen Daniels. Uh, I said in, in Big 12 Media Days, I thought he was the best quarterback in the league. I know that a lot of excitement from the fan base centered around Daniels. Do you get the sense now that the team has has kind of moved on and are galvanized behind, hey, Bean's our guy, let's rock and roll? Maybe a little bit, yeah. I, you know, not so much in the in the sense of committing to one guy or the other, but more in the sense of, you know, we're okay either way. I, I think last year this was a big deal. Um, when Jalen was out with his shoulder injury last year, and I wrote this a ton last year, they just were a different team when they didn't have him on the field. They didn't have their guy. The, not only the things he brought to the position, but he brings a certain – you know, confidence to the field too. He, and, and it's the type of confidence. He's got the type of personality that, you know, it's not just the offense that feels that, that the third string, you know, left defensive end feels that when Jalen's out there. And, and so, so I think that was a big part of last year, but I do think they've rallied this year. And I think part of that's the maturity of, of everybody on that roster, right? They're all a year older. They're all a year more experienced, a little bit wiser, and they've also been through this. So it's a little less of a shock to the system to not have him out there. And I think that's part of the reason they're sitting at five and two right now and, and looking like a pretty darn good football team because they haven't been as, as you know, affected by, well, Jalen's out. What do we do now? You know, they were truly, you know, you hate to say it because it's so cliche, the next man up thing, but it was truly that. I mean, 
from from week one. You know, Jason Bean started the opener when Jalen wasn't ready to go, and that was that was the way this sort of this this season the foundation that it started on. And so I think that was a, a big tone setter for them, and they were like, okay, well, this is how we're going to roll. And so they've shown to me at least they they've shown the ability to just kind of adjust with whatever. And so if you want to call it rallying around Bean, I, I don't think that's unfair. I don't think that's that's wrong, but I, but I think it's, it's probably as, as much about um, the individual players and their experience and maturity as much as anything. Hey, Matt, when you talk about this team, we, we spent a lot of time on the offense, but the defensive line has been pretty solid, it seems like, at times this year. How does this matchup, you know, work for Kansas against Oklahoma with the strengths of Oklahoma, of course, being right now not able to establish the run, those short, quick passes, and the receiving core is pretty deep. How do you feel this matchup defensively goes for Kansas? Yeah, it, you know, they've been really good against the run, and, and the D-line's been so good this year because they're rotating guys in. I mean, they, they went to the portal and, and got some help there, and then they've got some returners who are in, you know, bigger roles than they've ever been in that are really playing well. Uh, Jeremy Robinson's the biggest one that stands out there, but um, Austin Booker's a transfer guy. Gage Key's a transfer guy. Devin Phillips, a transfer guy. Um, all those guys have been really, really good this year, and and I think a part of the reason they've all been good, and others with them, DJ Withers, Tommy Dunn. You know, I could go on and on, but I won't. But but I think part of the reason they've all been so good is because they've been fresh. I mean, they do rotate that that front you know, D line as much, as much as anybody. And I, I think that these guys have the right mindset. The, their egos are checked at the door. They're not worried about who gets the numbers or who gets what, you know, they just want to win and they just want to get off the field really. And so I think that's, that's helped. I think that's worked for this team. And, and I think that D line has been a huge surprise and a pleasant surprise because it was a major question coming into the, into the season throughout camp, throughout the off season, it was you know, what, do they have anything there? And and they've shown way more than we've seen that they have plenty of talent up front. So in in games where you know they have to maul and and get down and dirty, they're they're happy to do that. I I think the matchup's a little concerning because um, teams that get the ball out quick, you know, it really does put the pressure on on that middle group, the linebackers. Obviously, KU secondary is an experienced bunch and, and has a couple of All Big Twelve type players back there too. So um, I, I'll be interested to see how much pressure they dial up or if they just try to, you know, kind of sit back and, and maybe get there with four, you know, knowing that's not going to happen if the ball comes out quick. But it'll be as much for me, it'll be about adjustments as anything. It's, it's not necessarily the game plan going in as much as it is, okay, this is how it's happening to us. Let's see what we can do to, to tweak this or tweak that. And, and they've been pretty good at that. You know, I mean, their, their second half adjustments have shown to be okay. Um, not, not, not necessarily anything that stands out, but, um, but you know, again, this coaching staff has been together a long, long time too. And so they know how to do this and they, they know how to do it together. And so we'll see, we'll see if their game plan gives them any success out of the gate or if they're going to have to make major changes in the game. But I'm, I'm confident that whatever it calls for, they'll be willing to do because they have enough depth now. And that's sort of been the biggest key to this whole season. Last year it was about do we have any bodies? Do we have guys that can play this game? Do we have guys that can be real Big 12 football players? And this year it's about we have those guys. We showed that last year. But do we have depth? Can we build some depth? And the fact that they've been able to win five games already shows that the depth has shown up. And 
and it's been effective. And, and so in games like this, I think they're going to lean on their depth as much as anything. And, and so it'll be really interesting to see how much that rotation up front helps. Yeah, Matt, I mean, to both you and Randy's point, uh, one area the Oklahoma offensive line has not struggled has been pass protection. They've been elite this year with protecting Gabriel. So I'm really curious to see, you know, if Kansas does ratchet that pressure up, that's going to leave some very dangerous guys, you know, one-on-one on on the back end. And with a quarterback with a lot of experience throwing downfield and is playing about elite level as I can remember. But wanted to jump back to it. I don't want to cut you off, but by, by and large, they, Borland, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator, he's not that type of guy. He doesn't love to blitz. It, you don't see that a ton. I mean, he's done it. Anybody's done it, you know, but, but it's not like it's, it's a crutch that he leans on or something that he's just like, hey, okay, we're going to do this over and over because it's going to work. I mean, it seems like he's, he wants to play more of that. Let's just keep everything in front of us. Let's play steady. Let's be assignment sound. And so – I will be really surprised if they do dial up too much pressure that comes from blitzes, but you know, you might have two or three snaps a half where, where he decides this is the time or this is the look we want to go with. And, and um, you know, then they bring it. And, and of course, obviously anywhere <laughs> with any team, any game, any matchup, when you bring it, you better get there. Otherwise exactly what you just said can happen. And when you've got the weapons that OU has and a quarterback like that, it, it can, it can make you pay in a hurry. Yeah, I just well, – one thing I was going to ask, uh, you've been around the program, you know, just to call it bluntly, Kansas football for a lot of years has been a punchline. Uh, that's changed. They are now a legit dangerous program, I thought, coming into the season, uh, could vie for the Big 12 championship. That's how much respect I have for the Jayhawks. Kind of talk about what you've noticed with the fan base and the program and just the sense of things changing, you know, as this has kind of gone on the way. Yeah, I mean, it's been remarkable to see it happen so fast. You know, I think that it was pretty clear early on after Lance got here that that they made the right hire and that he was going to be able to get this thing turned. I don't think that anybody saw it coming in two or three years. Um, To get to a bowl game last year like they did was remarkable. To be 5-2 and this year, you know, listen, here's the best stat of the entire freaking season so far. KU started 4-0 last year. They started 4-0 this year. This is the first time since I think it was 1913-1914 that Kansas has had back-to-back 4-0 starts in football. I mean, that's over 100 wow. years. You know, that, that tells you exactly what he's doing here. And, and you can, you know, people can laugh and, and say, well, yeah, it's Kansas. They suck or whatever. And, and while that's been true, this is still historically significant in terms of how quick he's turned this thing around. That's why you're seeing him show up on game day. Um, last year, game day came to town for the first time in KU history, at least for football. Um, that's why big noon kickoffs here this weekend. Uh, obviously, number six Oklahoma has a lot to do with that. But even number six Oklahoma has come in here plenty of times in the past. And those game days and big noon kickoffs, they haven't even thought about coming. You know, Kansas has to be relevant. They have to be a factor for those types of things to to start happening around your program, and and they are happening. So. I, I think it's remarkable when you see how quick it's happened. I think it's it's totally, you know, uh, re-energized the entire community, not just Kansas football fans, but the entire city. I mean, people care about football again. It's actually cool to walk around and talk with your friends about football. Um, people make their plans on Monday and Tuesday for what's happening that Saturday with the game. I mean, 
that stuff that we saw in, you know, in the, in the 2007, 2008, when Mangino was here and he had him, you know, on, on track to head to that orange bowl and, and had it running and, and really rolling then. But it's been a long time since then. And so to see it come back so quickly and so effortlessly, I mean, it's like, you heard all these years when all these failed coaches came through here that these people were starving for a football team again. They wanted to show up and root for football. They wanted to be a part of that. They wanted that to be a part of Lawrence, Kansas on Saturdays. But at the same time, they weren't going to go watch a clown show. And, and I don't blame them for that. And there were a lot of moments where it looked like a clown show. So this whole thing has turned. It hasn't just been the, the X's and O's and the record and, and – the types of players they're getting, but it's the entire community. Everything has changed. And, and as you just said, I mean, the idea that Kansas is a legitimate football program and, and a, a true, you know, a team that when you see them on a schedule, you know, you're going to have to bring it and you're going to have to get ready and you're going to have to have a game plan. You're going to have to execute all those things. I mean, that's, that's for real. That's here. That's, that's a part of reality now. And, and um, as long as Lance Leipold sticks around and everything points to him doing that, that should be that way for a long time now. So um, it's been really, really remarkable to see and, and to experience after watching it just tank and bottom out for so many years. You know, it took the right guy, and they found the right guy. Hey, Matt, one final question for me, and, and it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about. It's late October, closing in on November, and, and you've kind of talked about how this fan base has starved for a football program for the last several years, probably since the Mark Mangino days. How weird is it to be covering it now as a media member to not be able to be doing what you probably have normally done for the last 10, 15 years before last year, where at this point in time, you've already flipped the switch from football season to going right into covering Bill Self and what that basketball program does? Yeah, I like it. I like that you asked the question because, um, <laughs> you know, I, I got really used to covering the same old, same old with football. And, and sometimes it felt like, you know, I've already written this story. In fact, there was a time where I was, I was going to try to write my game story on a Friday and just see if I, how close I got <laughs> because you could kind of predict how, how the whole script was going to play out and how bad it was going to go. And um, I never got around to doing that. I wish I had. That would have been fun. But, um, but yeah, it, it was sort of that same lull, you know. And, and uh, to be able to see all these new angles and new stories and – you know, a lot of it has to do with the new faces, of course, but um, but there are things around the program that matter now too. And again, that's whether you want to talk about donors that are that are ponying up, or they they've recently announced plans for a new, a complete stadium overhaul. The first phase will be done in 2025. That's right around the corner, and it's going to be an absolute beautiful facility. Um, it, it will look every bit like you want it to look when you want to puff your chest out and say, we're a real college football program. They haven't been able to do that for dozen years or longer. And now everything is starting to allow them to do that. It's not just the scores and the record and what's happening on Saturdays, but it's the commitment from their administration. It's the fans, it's the support they're getting. It's these uh, facility upgrades that they're planning and, and, you know, fundraising for, I mean, it's, it's everything. And so that, makes it a lot of fun because yeah, I, I spent a lot of time watching really, really bad football. And I'll give you a side note on that. I, I'm a, a Colorado native and a Denver Broncos fan uh, by birth. And so for a lot of years there, it was 
okay, go do my thing, watch bad football, know that I'm better than the, the – smarter than the head coach a lot of the times, and I wouldn't have done this, this, and this on Saturday. But then my reward was always, okay, well, now I get to watch Peyton Manning in Denver and do their, they do their thing on Sunday. So, okay, I can at least <laughs> suffer through. Well, it's totally the opposite now. You know, I, I – I go watch really good football on Saturdays and then I have to suffer through Sundays. So, you know, that's a very personal thing and that only has to do with me and a, a small number of others. But, um, but it's still pretty funny that, that, you know, for all those years where the Sunday was the day, now it's, now it's back to college football matters again. And I'm actually enjoying watching it and covering it. Um, you know, I, I, I always believed they'd get here, but I, I was starting to have my doubts after we got, you know, into double digits of just, the beat going on with just bad football after bad football after bad football. Um, but, but it's here. They've, 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 they've climbed out of the depths and, and, uh, yeah, they are a real, a real program and a real contender. And look, they should have won that game in Stillwater last week. And if they had, they'd be six and one and this game would be massive. It's already big, but this game would be massive if they had just taken care of business down there. So that's how close they are to, to truly being contenders in the conference, and it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it really is, Matt. We're glad for you, man. We're glad that you can enjoy Saturdays again. But I uh, just wanted to thank you for your time. You've been fantastic. A big matchup again, 11 o'clock Central Time, Lawrence, Kansas, Oklahoma, and the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, saying that the last, oh, man, decade didn't mean a whole lot. It means a lot now. Oklahoma better have it buttoned up this week, boys. Uh, Going to be a great, great contest with Matt Tate with R1S1.com Sports. Uh, Matt, you want to tell people who you're with, what you guys got going on? Yeah, it's actually a brand-new KU site, um, the Perpetual Sports Network based out of Arizona. Uh, they started the Row 1, Seat 1 Network, and, and the president of the company is a KU graduate, so they launched the site with uh, the, our first site in the network is KU, and, and so – yeah, you can find us right now at r1s1sports.com and, and uh, all kinds of really fun KU content there. We're not necessarily the game coverage and news-breaking site. We're, we're more athlete-focused, athlete-centric. Um, everything's athlete's voice. Let's find out who these people are um, that are that are putting up these numbers and winning these games and making these headlines, and, and let's tell their stories. So I've really enjoyed it. After 20-plus years at the paper here in Lawrence, uh, it's been a nice change of pace. It's still doing what I do, but it's doing it in a little different way. And uh, I, I think people have, have really enjoyed it because we're getting to tell some really cool stories. I've done some things this fall that have been among my favorite things I've written in 25 years in the business. So um, it's, it's going great. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, a lot more to come. Um, so, uh, yeah, r1s1sports.com. The site is called Wave the Wheat. That's a Kansas thing. And, and uh yeah, go check it out if you would. I would I would love that. It's uh, it, We'll have all kinds of stuff from this weekend's game. But big game. And, and look, like, before we go, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, like, it's very weird that, that this is the, the, the end of the road, right? This is the last KU-Oklahoma matchup. Um, that's, that's still sinking in with me. I, I wasn't around in the big six days, but the big six days were a long time ago. And for these two to be conference brothers for that long through all those changes, um, you know, to see that ending is, is pretty, pretty wild to think about. So uh, that won't mean anything to the Devin Neals and Jason Beans of the world out there on, on Saturday necessarily, or Dylan Gabriel, obviously either. But um, for a lot of people, it means a lot. And it's, it's, it's a very weird thing. Uh, I think everybody's, you know, KU and OU fans alike are in agreement that everybody's fine with Texas leaving. Nobody cares, right? But, 
But when no you doubt. lose a, a, a program like OU that you've been tied to the hip at for so many years, decades, almost a century, it's incredible. So it'll be a, a, an interesting thing to see it one more time. I'm glad it's here at Lawrence, and I, I get to see it here on, uh, on the old stadium one more time. All right, man. Yeah, we're with you. Crazy it's ending. But uh, that's Matt Tate with R1S1.com, and this is the DNR College Football Report. And that interview brought to you by Bob Hurley RV. Hurley RV is the largest RV dealer in the state of Oklahoma with over a 1,000 units on their lot, both new and pre-owned. Also, if you are waiting for a camper to get fixed, have it in service somewhere, long line, long wait, go get it, take it over to Hurley. They're ready to get it fixed and get you back on the road where you belong. Hurley RV carries the full line of Fleetwood, Integra, Cougar, and Passport travel trailers and fifth wheels. Sales manager Michael Day has anything you're looking for in the world of toy haulers, RVs, and anything else. Hurley RV is at 8606 North I-35 Service Road, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I I just wanted to go all cowboys. (laughs) (laughs) Go Pokes. Um, Anyway. Are we ready? Yeah. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Welcome into the DNR College Football Report through 107.7 The Franchise. Mr. Randy Heights, Mr. Reeves Mitchell, Dave Myrick, back at it, boys. Uh, let's jump right into it. Oklahoma, Central Florida, a tense game on Owen Field Saturday. Uh, guys, I think personally this team needed a game like that. They needed to be humbled a little bit after being told for two weeks how great they were against Texas. They Boy, were they humbled because they got stung a mm-hmm. couple times. We saw some mistakes we had not seen this year, but... I'll say this about that. They bounce back, win the game, and they can learn after a victory that's better than a mistake. No doubt. I mean, I think we look at it and, you know, we, we've talked about it. Ignazium and media has all week long. This is a game a year ago they lose. I think zero doubts. This is a game for the last eight years they lose. Let's be honest. I mean, it goes to the Bob Stoops towards the end of his career. Great coach. But he had a lot of those games where you just head scratching, like, how did they lose that game? And, you know, right now, I think, I think I told you, Dave, before the show started, I think fans themselves need to get it out of their head that this is not the same program, not the same culture that was there through the last few years of Stoops, the Riley era. It's not the same. You know, everyone goes, yeah, but Oklahoma drops these games. You know, they'll always have a bad game. And I'm not saying they couldn't still do that. But there's a difference between having a bad game, and you said yesterday you were at practice, and I saw your Ethan Downs interview. A lot of guys have said this. It's a lot better to have a bad game and win. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the difference in this culture right now. It seems like these guys know, hey, they'll admit they had a bad game, but they found ways to win in the game, as opposed to years past where they've had that bad game and a bad mistake, whether it's like Woody Washington getting beat deep for the easy touchdown, and then it snowballs. That's the one thing we're seeing out of this team, and I think we've preached it all year long on this podcast. They don't seem to let those little things turn into big, big things over and over again. It's like one bad thing, and then they correct it, and they go out and they shut the team down again. And that's kind of what's been impressive, and that's what I saw Saturday. Yeah, it was an interesting game. I mean, it was definitely a wake-up call for OU. And Stoops last night at practice talking about, you know, kind of what you were saying in that last year this is a game we lose and last year we lost so many of these close games so it's kind of molded our 
you know, thought process into these deep games where we're confident now because we've been on the other side, especially last year, a handful of times they're on the wrong side of a close game. So, you know, the spread was 17, whatever. They didn't even come close to covering that, only one by two. But, guys, they found a way to win. That's the most important takeaway here. Stopping them on the two-point conversion, I mean, really good job. That That's just a play in the past. You guys have harped on it, but that's just a play in the past. I feel like they give up. And then it leads to the snowball where you go to overtime and you're thinking, wow, this is really a game you can lose. But credit to OU for figuring out in that fourth quarter. And most of the day the offense was up and down, but I thought they found something late in that game, especially with the run game and especially with Gavin Salchuk. Yeah, we were talking before you got here, man, about people asking, where's the run game been? What's the deal? they got to stick with an O-line for more than one game here. I mean, let these guys – we've talked about it all season on this show – let these guys gel and, and become a unit because that has to happen for there to be continuity up front. They've done a really good job in pass pro, which means that tells me there's talent. So for that to transition to run, let those guys play together. I like the guards now. I like green. I like bird. Leave those guys alone. Watch what happens with the run game. I'm not going to defend Oklahoma at all. I'll say this, though. UCF is a different team with John Rice Plumley. He he adds a different element. He's a really good quarterback, and we saw it Saturday. Yeah, I, I think we did, and as much as we want to criticize them, I mean, they still held UCF under 120 yards over their under their average. I mean, so they did do some things, and I'm like, you you can't defend them. They came out and they slept walk, but I think, I think what you realize out of this, big games happen. Oklahoma, Texas, Washington, Oregon. You look at teams around the country that played big games, mm-hmm. They kind of slept walk the next week. The difference for Oklahoma and for Texas, for this matter, they found a way to win. There are teams around the country that didn't. North Carolina, mm. they came out and played a game this past week. They laid a big old egg. They ended up taking a loss they shouldn't have. And that's where championship teams or teams that want to contend for a title, they find a way to win. And that's where I think that's what was kind of a key difference this year. This team believes they have an ability to go do something. There's a reason why ESPN has them as the best chance to make the college football playoff right now. No doubt. And look, go back to the game. People can point to different plays the defense gave up and didn't look very good. They had to make stops at points in the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter to have a chance to come back and take the lead. They made those stops. I know that they gave up a long touchdown on the last drive. Uh, Third and 15 gets by him, barely scrapes by Billy Bowman's fingers, a very tight window. And then the fourth down play, which we both thought maybe a timeout, you know, when you see who's in the slot. Oh, that one right before they scored. Yeah, yeah, and who he's lined up against. But, you know, in all, they had to make stops in the fourth. You had a confidence that they could for the first time in a very long time, and they do. They get the ball back to the offense. They do just enough to get the win, something we haven't seen in a while. I mean, we we gave Gus Malzahn – a little bit of credit leading up to this game, but I think he deserves a lot of credit for his game plan during this game. I mean, their offensive game plan was very strong, and I thought they ran the ball very well. And OU strength on defense this year has been that run defense, but UCF found some ways to manipulate it, do some weird motions. That draw play they were running really hurt OU. Speed two draw. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. speed draw. It hurt OU two or three times. So I give Malzahn a lot of credit for his game plan, even the use of the RPO. I mean, it totally fooled Woody Washington on the long touchdown. So... I thought UCF was ready to play, man, and I think Malzahn's a coach and that, you know, if they're playing another 3-3, three and 4-3 three, and three Big 12 team, mm-hmm. his game plan might not be as masterful as that. But I'm telling you, when they're going on the road to Texas, to OU, to the big dogs of the conference, he's going to draw up a pretty good script. And he's been in big games before. He's won big games. Uh, 
I thought he was ready to coach on Saturday. I thought they had a very good game plan. But again, I mean, that was UCF's best punch, and OU did respond. So they're much better than the three and four team. I learned that on Saturday. But at the same time, you know, there are things OU has to tighten up, especially getting into the harder part of the schedule right now. Two really tough road games coming up. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought they were ready to play UCF. Mm-hmm. But you go back in the first quarter, OU started four drives on UCF's side of the field and came away with seven points. That game should have been over at the half. Yeah, I mean, not only, and we'll get into special teams, miss field goals. I mean, all those are momentum things. That with If you make those, all of a sudden the offense, maybe two of those other drives turn into touchdowns right. just because it's a snowball effect. All of a sudden those missed field goals, that gives a UCF defense that may have been on the ropes a little, that gives them confidence. Whether they stopped them or not, mm-hmm. It's a zero on the scoreboard for those possessions, kind of like what you're talking about. And so that lets that defense start to believe whether they had anything to do with it or not, they can start believing. Guess what, guys? We got this. And then you go back to the goal line stand in the first quarter. That was a huge momentum change. And to be honest, we can rip Kanak for what he did. Let's be honest. Go back, and if that official is in the Red River rivalry game down in Dallas, guess what? Ethan Downs may have got a personal foul because what Kanak did was no different than that. And I'm not defending or ripping one or the other. I'm just saying he screamed down at the guy. Was it a penalty? Yes, probably. But you could easily go Ethan Downs was in Dallas. So, I mean, it's all a judgment call. And that's where those mental plays, the emotions got the best of Kanak in that that moment. But right there, those are the signs that give you faith that, hey, this defense is still pretty good. Because when it came, you know, not cutting time at that point in time, they stood up and made the stop. Is it their fault? I mean, Kanak doesn't do that penalty. Guess what? I don't think they score a touchdown there. I know you've got a second straight game with four straight from the one-yard line that no one scores. Very impressive. Again, the goal line stand. Kanak, you know, yeah, you can't do that, especially at that You can't, that but like I say, game. he probably saw Ethan do it last time. Yeah, like, hey, okay, it. it's okay to do it. Yeah, it doesn't take away from how great they played <laughs> to get them to fourth down and then get the stop. I mean, that that's stuff we just haven't seen out of an Oklahoma defense in a very long time, but – you know, the offense, yeah, consistency, rhythm, that was really hard to find all day. Uh, I thought the lack of a run game still, as they search for that, uh, plays into that, boys. You've got to have some kind of consistent run game. You, you cannot be one-dimensional. I know that they use short yeah. passes as an extension of the yeah. run game, but that's why we keep seeing them go back to it. Even if they're stuffed, they know they have to eventually have one to lean on just a little bit. Yeah, it was an interesting day for the run day. I mean, Sawchuck goes out there to start the game, which – was kind of on, on uh, no one really saw that coming except for, you know, Tawi was suspended for the game, so we knew Sawchuck was going to play more. And then Major's dealing with that shoulder issue, but Major was able to go later in the game. But, I mean, rough start to the game for Sawchuck, dropping the direct snap on what looked to be like a pretty well-designed play by Jeff Levy, mm-hmm. just straight dropped it, you know, had to dive on it. And then he drops a pass in the flat, you know, that would have got eight or eight yards or so, and – he didn't play for about three series or more, you know, after that. And a lot of Sooner Nation was thinking, you know, is he even going to play again today? Is his head screwed on straight today? But, guys, give him credit for coming back in that second half. And he had some really strong runs. I know everyone's going to talk about the long run to seal the game. But, man, he had some seven- or eight-yard runs in that fourth quarter where he's breaking two or three tackles. And that's really what you miss when a guy like Tawi is out. So I thought it was huge that Sawchuck kind of filled in that void especially in the fourth quarter when you have to break tackles on those runs. You just have to. 
crucial, crucial runs he had. There was one third and three, maybe. Mm-hmm. He ran through a couple guys. And got about it. seven yards on yeah. the play. Yeah, no. Guys, that was the first game we saw a little bit of what Sawchuck was in the right. Florida State game. That got everyone excited. He looked like, because I'd been saying when everyone wanted to jump on the Sawchuck, you know, bandwagon early this year in some of the games, like, why aren't they running anymore? We saw against Tulsa. We saw in the first game against Arkansas, or not first game, this Tulsa and who was it? Another game early he played in. He just, we had talked about it here that he just didn't look like he had that speed burst. No. And I'm not saying he's got it fully back, but Saturday was the first game that you saw a little bit of like, oh, there, there's the speed. Because to be honest, if Gavin Sawchuk doesn't have that speed burst, He's just another player. Right. You know, I mean, that's what makes him different. Right. And that's why I think when everyone wonders why the two, three games before this he hasn't played, that's why. When everyone says, trust DeMarco Murray, he sees him out there playing. Saturday was the first game they went, here you go. And I know it's because Ty Wee was out, but also the way they've done the running backs, I don't know if it's just because Ty Wee was out. I mean, Sawchuck may have been the guy to start with anyway. He I mean, let's have. be real, because we saw that after the first game of the year, you know, when neither – Barnes or Sawchuck touch the field. The next game, it's only Barnes and Sawchuck against SMU. So, I mean, we never know what would have happened. But what you know now is I think you've got a guy that if he stays healthy, he's getting back to be that guy that every fan wanted to see. You got Ty Wee coming back. And really, Marcus Majors looked pretty good. He's had some moments where, yeah, he's had some bad spots. But just as big as as Sawchuck was in that last quarter, Marcus Major was just as good at times. I mean, whether it was in the receiving game or even a couple of big runs for him. I mean, he's got to get healthy, too. That's the thing. Yeah, and let's not forget, talking about trying to find rhythm, consistency, they took the field this game, the first game without Andrew Anthony, who has been a big possession guy, one of the guys Gabriel goes to. Don't discount that as far as, you know, having to find, and yeah, Nick Anderson seems to be the logical choice, as we all said last week. They still have to go out there and play and do it. they got to find openings. The guys have to get open. Gabriel has to hit them. There was a lot going I won't say against the OU offense to start, but when you're without Walker, you're without a couple of your starting offensive linemen, you're without you know your best wide receiver so far, I'm not surprised it took them a while to get going. No, and it's really seeming to me like late in these close games, especially, I mean, I guess Texas and this is really the only down-to-the-wire games we've had, but Stoops is a guy that's really stepping up in the fourth quarter in my mind, and he's a guy you can tell Dylan trusts with his life. Man, on that last drive, when Sawchuck scored, Stoops made two phenomenal catches over the middle to extend the drive. It's so important to just have a possession receiver out there, and you talked about it, losing Andrell. He's a big third and five guy mm-hmm. where you like to throw that slant to him, you like to throw that out route to him because he's sure-handed and he runs good routes. But Stoops is the same way. He's just smaller, not as fast, but, man, he's going to play in that slot, and he just knows how to get open. It's never been like for him, you know, he's – more athletic than the guy guarding him or he's you know way more fast than the guy guarding him but it does just seem like he has a sense to where he can find the holes in his own and that's a receiver you need in every offense in my opinion no doubt and that dylan needs him needs him bad this year and he's come through clutch in a couple back-to-back games but uh you know oh you did enough to win they remain undefeated number six team in the country they will uh, head to kansas we'll talk more about that this week but wanted to talk about their uh big 12 brethren to the south the texas longhorns find themselves in a a tough game against the houston cougars in a game they jumped up 21 to nothing and uh almost got stung in the end randy hey to be honest how about this oklahoma fans texas fans no more bitching about the officiating's being against you because <laughs> i mean that spot wh- whether nice. that spot was 
first down or not. What blew my mind more than anything. They didn't review it. They didn't review yeah. it. I was like, look, it, he may have not got it, but that was close enough in the last minute of a ball game. You review it, right? Just to make sure. Why did they not? And then secondly, Houston, you don't deserve to win. My God, what are you doing a screen pass? It's fourth and inches. Get your ass under center <laughs> and do the Philly shove. I mean, it, it makes no sense. He did have the guy open. I'll, I'll give him he that. He did, but regardless, why, why are you doing that? Because at this point in time, you need that first down to continue. Get under center, get the first down. Yeah. That's what, I mean, granted, yes, I know he had him. He catches it. It's done. But why put yourself in that spot? It makes no sense. Mm, Dana. I'm not, I wasn't surprised with the call. I'll put it that way. I wasn't either, yeah, but I'm just Holderson, like, what are you yeah, doing? I know. That's Dana for us. Big storyline from the game, obviously. Oh. Quinn Ewers, the big storyline from that game, Quinn Ewers taking the shot in the fourth quarter, and it's appearing he's going to be out about three to four weeks, so... Texas is going to have to turn to the bench, and they have plenty of options, that's for sure, of the five-star category. But it's looking like it's going to be Malik Murphy, who only attempted two passes in that game. Did not look good. Didn't look great. I mean, he's a great athlete, guys. He's a great athlete, but, man, he he fired a ball on a third down that just – he threw it way too hard. Was, it was yeah. almost like, you know, <laughs> he was so jacked to be in that game, he just kind of overshot it, but – you know, I think he's a good player. And then what Texas is able to do on the ground game, yes. this this had to be their worst rushing game of the year. I mean, Jonathan Brooks goes 20 for only 99 yards, which at 20 attempts for Houston, I'd be guessing he's nearing 150. But no, only 99 yards and zero touchdowns for him. I do think, guys, Reeves, I think one thing for you to think about this and for everyone, teams are starting to figure out, okay, they can run the ball. Let's go ahead and make sure Quinn can beat us. Yeah, You know, and yeah. I think what you're talking about there, Reeves, 20 carries and 99 yards, it's going to be really interesting to see what that run game does this week because if I'm a defense, I'm selling out oh, going, man, yeah. you know what? Brooks isn't going to beat us. Especially with Murphy. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I mean, so it's going to be really interesting. I, Sorry, I, Reeves. Go. I mean, yeah. I wasn't that impressed with Malik Murphy. I wasn't that impressed with Texas. But, look, here's the thing. These are 18-, 19-year-old kids coming off a bye. We talked about it last week. That's hard to get back in the groove. Texas coming off a heartbreaking loss. OU coming off an exhilarating win. We saw both be human and hungover. That's what we saw against Houston Reeves. Yeah, and, I mean, don't discount. That's a very tough situation to come into as a backup quarterback when you're not expecting to play, and the guy in front of you is the golden boy of Texas football. So, I mean, not an easy spot there for Malik Murphy. He definitely didn't expect to play, but. Credit to Texas for finding a way to win again. I mean, OU and Texas, very similar weeks this week. And really for them, it's just finding ways to win each week. So, I mean, some weeks it's not going to be as pretty as the following mm -hmm. week. But, guys, if you can just get the W each week, I mean, both teams really control their own destiny, man. Yeah, ask USC if they take an ugly win against Utah Saturday. Well, ask Washington and Oregon. Do you think either one of them are complaining? They just played each other yeah. last week. I mean, guys, Washington was very close to losing. Yes. And that's a 1-5 in five Arizona State team. Guys, I mean, Arizona State was driving to win that game, and Washington Washington got a pick six to take the lead. The hangover is real. Yeah, it, it's real, and it's natural. Because like you said, Reeves, these are 18-, 19-year-old kids. Or maybe it's you, David, whichever one. Anyway, somebody in here said You know, 18-, 19-year-old kids. They're either excited because they got the big victory and think, thank God, we're past that game, and we're playing a 1-5 and five team. Mm -hmm. Or, dang, I can't believe we came up short, and we're playing a 1-5 and five team. We should go win this game. It, it's just natural. It happens. We say 18, 19-year-old kids. It happens in the NFL. You'll sure. see teams. You know, it's just part of human nature. 
yeah, everyone says they don't look at the newspaper, they don't look at clippings, they don't look at the... It's hard not to see that. You know who you're playing. You know who's across the line of scrimmage from you. You know you're better than them. You should be able to just throw the ball out there and win. Guess what? Sometimes it doesn't happen. And so that's why for teams like Oregon, Washington, Oklahoma, Texas, you just chalk it up and go, you know what? It wasn't our prettiest game of the year, but we did the one thing we needed to do. Win. We and, went one and up. Yeah, and even if you're not playing good teams right now, I mean, every single one of these teams is going to give you your best shot if you're, you're Texas. Sure. Yeah. get your best shot every week. I mean, just think about that Houston game. Think about all of the Houston players that weren't recruited by Texas that have a personal vendetta against them. And I know that that's on every team because most of these players are from Texas. But you're telling me that's not a game they had circled on their calendar all year? No I mean, doubt. Come on. Yeah, they, no wanted, doubt. they wanted to beat Texas real bad. Same with UCF. I mean, OU and UCF don't necessarily have past history. But on the same time, going to the new conference, yep. you see the big dog in the conference – Man, that's a game I'm circling on the calendar. If I'm Gus Malzahn, I'm going to have my best game plan when we go to Gaylord Memorial Stadium on that Saturday because I want to knock off, you know, the guys that win this conference damn near every year. No doubt. And How, UCF had a bye week, Randy. Exactly, I, I and mean, that, that played a big deal. How about ready. Gus saying that's the best defense they played all year? I believe him. I believe him, guys. Like I said, Rice Plummer is a good quarterback. This is an elite offense UCF has. Mm-hmm. They really are. A rushing attack, as yeah. I said. I was really impressed by their skill players. Ba- great Baxter, skill players. The, who blew the kiss, and we don't have to talk yeah. about that. Yeah. But he's a really good player. I mean, he, And two really good running backs. Elite hey, running Harvey, backs. their running back, yeah. is a really, really good running back. I mean, he's one of the most underrated backs in the conference. He just got overlooked going into this game because UCF's sitting at 3-3, three and three and they haven't scored as much recently. But, man, I mean – they have two really good running backs. I mean, they exposed OU's run defense to a certain extent, I thought, in that first half. Speed I mean, draw, dude. Yeah, I mean, speed draw. And, and I think we talked about it off the air, Dave. I think what's great, Brent Venables said last week, the teams that do the most pre-snap in the in the Big 12 are UCF and Kansas. Kansas yeah. I think it was good for Oklahoma not only to play UCF first, but play them at home. That way when you go on the road – they're going to know what to expect now. I mean, running backs are just as good at Kansas mm-hmm. with those Henshaw and, and Neil. And I think the simple fact that they played them first, it was really good. This defense, we've seen they make adjustments. We talk about the running game for Florida, Central Florida. In the fourth quarter, they didn't run the ball near as well. No. And that's partially because this defense finally figured it out, finally picked it up. And so that could be a big thing going into next week. And one other thing before we move up to the game in Stillwater – I, I think the other thing we have to realize also, also for Oklahoma's offense, Central Florida got an NFL defensive lineman back mm-hmm. last week as well. We all want to focus on the quarterback. But him coming back was a big problem for, I think, Oklahoma as far as what you said, Dave, bringing in that new offensive line, some of those guys playing, and all of a sudden you got an NFL guy on the other side of the line of scrimmage. It messed with some guys. Yeah, it did, and I'll, I'll jump back to Gus saying that's the best. That's because I believe him is what we're talking about. They have really good skill guys. They have a really good offense. So when he says that, I don't take it lightly. I don't think it was coach speak. I think Oklahoma is an elite defense. We've called it all year, and I think it's because of that they were able to get the stops they needed to in the fourth quarter. Last compliment I'll give Gus on that fourth down conversion they got for the touchdown to get within two. That was a masterful play if you watch the route development on that. They sent the far receiver from the left all the way to the right, and it's a long developing play mm-hmm. to where you have to block for Plumley. You know, you cannot let there be pressure. And credit to UCF's O line, they blocked for him. But then you take all the receivers on the right and move them the other way. Billy Bowman just kind of got lost, got behind him, and they got a touchdown. But Gus is a really good offensive yeah. coach. So I agree with you, Randy. I like that they got to face a coordinator. I mean, he's a coach, but he's really an OC. 
I like that they get get to face a guy like him this week before Kansas because, guys, this Kansas offense is no joke. Yeah, no, I, I'll still say this on that last play, and I've told Dave and you mentioned earlier, Venables, that's one time you should have used a timeout. Saw it developing. I mean, Baker's going to be matched up with Stutzman on the other side. It's not a good matchup. No. Call that T.O., yeah. and they may not score. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. We'll get into the Kansas matchup here in a little while, but let's go up north. <laughs> well, let's go northeast. I guess it was in West Virginia, but Oklahoma State <sighs> – you know, it's really interesting. Enigma. This team. Enigma. They're an enigma. But, I mean, A, you have to wonder, hey, guys, why did it take so long to figure out, you know, Ollie Gordon's pretty good? I've been saying it since Arizona I, State on this show. I've been saying it since before the season started. Feed we knew what Ollie, Ollie Gordon was. Now, what's interesting is, as much as we all focus on that, it's going to be interesting to see if Oklahoma State can continue to do this. This is three weeks in a row. Even with Ollie Gordon, they've been down and had to find a way back to win the game. Well, and people are going to start loading up to stop Gordon. Yeah, I mean, say, right Bowman, now. You're going to beat us. If, I, if I'm Oklahoma State's opponent, this goes for next week in Bedlam, you know, I'm like going, hey, nine guys in the box. Mm-hmm. Let's go. You're gone. I think this could potentially be a hangover spot for OSU coming up the week before Bedlam. I know Cincinnati's not very good, but guys, Dante Corleone up front and another really good D lineman, Briggs, I think. Is his yeah. Name? yeah that's Something yeah. like that. But. It's Briggs, yeah. I mean, if they're able to stop that run and make Alan Bowman really make passes, that game could get interesting. If Cincinnati can put some points on the board, their offense has been the big struggle. Yeah, I'm not. I'm still unimpressed with Bowman. I, you know, I think he was the most serviceable, the one least likely to uh, have self-inflicted wounds with mistakes, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of why he went with him. But Gordon, make no doubt, is the reason they're winning. If someone decides to stop that, I don't trust Bowman to win the game. Uh, well, and especially if you have good corners mm-hmm. outside, you know, I don't mean dominant corners, but just good ones. Because Oklahoma State's receiving core is good. Like Presley, I mm. think, you know, he's dangerous. A, a, unbelievably good. You've seen why he's able to do. He had a great touchdown catch on a screen pass last week. He's dangerous. But if you, they don't have Rashawn Woods out there. They don't have, you know, any of those big big time guys they've had in the past. So if you can get your secondary to handle them, and you can make sure that hey, I'm going to put a ninth guy in the box or whatever, and shut them down running the ball, or at least contain them where Ollie Gordon's not going for 45 yards on a carry, you know, it's going to be very interesting. And that's why, to your point, Reeves, Cincinnati, I think, is walking a fine line. They're not as deep, because we talked about this before going into the Texas game. They may have the best, start, or not best, but equal to Texas's defensive line starting. They don't have the depth. So can Cincinnati go into this matchup against Ollie Gordon, that offensive line of Oklahoma State, and go, our pro guys – we don't need to put nine guys in the box when they're in there. But, like, when they sub them out, is that when they go to nine guys in the box? If they don't need to load the box, long day for OSU. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Good news for OSU, Emory Jones is on the other side of the ball. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and I know OSU scored 48 points, and credit to them, the offense has looked way better, but I still think their game plan is very predictable. No doubt. I mean, it's Ollie Gordon first and second down, and if you're not within running distance on third down, if it's a third and five or longer, you're throwing to Presley. That's basically what I've seen from this offense so far when they've been playing well. Jaden Bray is another guy for OSU yeah. out wide that's a really good player, so he's one to watch out for too. But, guys, I mean, their depth at the skill position is not great. Let's be real. Yeah. You're going to make my OSU friends saying they're now going 10-2 really mad with this predictable game plan. Well, stuff. I have the same friend saying <laughs> we would be undefeated right now if Bowman had started. Oh, the yeah. no, I, I mean, I will say this. I, I think they you go back and I think they win – 
South Alabama, if they probably just stick in and go. Oh, no, I mean, I know they, they lost got, by 35. Yeah, yeah, but they got manhandled. But also, guys, that was when there was some turmoil going on. And I think they win that game just for the simple fact, if you have Bowman in there and you're running the offense they're running now, they're controlling that ball a lot more. They're controlling the clock. And I'd love, kind of like Gundy did say now, I mean, we made fun of him when he said it. I'd love to see that rematch. You know, like the next week if they would have went in and said, hey, this game plan right now, it's what we're going to run in the second game. Well, I mean, what you're talking about, that, that wasn't a mystery at the time. No, but they, they didn't should, do it. Why that's didn't what, they do it? I, dude, that's why everyone that wants to rip them for the multiple quarterback system, and I do, it was dumb. Yeah. It was stupid. You should be ripped just as much for not going, hey, Ollie Gordon, yes. here's 25 carries. Yeah. Here's 35 touches I mean, Ollie, overall. I don't even think Ollie started in that South Alabama game. Yeah. I don't get it. I, I, I remember hearing he had one carry that game, yeah. guys. In the first I mean, half, think yeah, about that. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I think he only had one carry in that first half. Maybe it was the whole game. But crazy. Yeah. I mean, I mean th- their game plan's totally different. As I say, because think about this. If this game plan's against South Alabama, that's a four and three team right now. Right. It's not like South Alabama is a world beater. No. They're not They're not Air Force, you know, from a non-Power 5 school that's undefeated. You know what I mean? They lost to James Madison the next week. Yeah, which James Madison, yeah, give yeah, them know, credit. I, I mean, know. it's a dumbass rule and in the NCAA. Yeah. yeah, even though did you see the rule last week, uh-huh. there is one thing they can do. James Madison and Jacksonville State, both in that probationary play period each other. in Hawaii, potentially. Take it. Take I mean, it. if somebody wants to put that together, they can do it. It's not a bowl game. But it's something in the rules where they could do it. If I'm them, I'm putting that Shoot together. Chess. Heck yeah. Reward your players. Reward your fan base. Anyway, All right. regardless. I, mean, I think they'd it, be in the playoff discussion right it, now. <laughs> hey, at this rate, <laughs> put it this way. Next year, yeah. James Madison is a team. We all make fun of them. James Madison is a team in that group of five next year that is going to be a legit team to be talking about because they are a power in college football. Well, they, they ran the it, FCS level for that's years. What I mean. If they make it, they'll get their, their doors blown off. But, you know, right, that's but what I'm just saying. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just about making it at that point. If you're a JMU in the first year and you can somehow even be Considered. in the conversation, yeah, I get it. that's a win for that program. All of a sudden, that puts them on an ACC, like, radar. You right. know what I'm saying? For a conference for survival going, hey, you know what? They may not be bad. Let's go get them. Well, okay, you heard it right here. All right, JMU will no. be on the play. No, no, no. <laughs> Isn't it just strange to think now two years or maybe three years removed from that playoff game, Cincinnati was in the playoff? That's yeah. crazy, Isn't dude. Isn't that just weird to think about at this point? Fickle, right? Fickle. Mm-hmm. And they played Alabama well. I mean, they were never going to win the game, but they it was within 14 well. the whole game, yeah. so credit to them. Shows you why you don't hire Satterfield. Uh, yeah, your man Satterfield. All right. Yeah, well, not the right hire there. <laughs> yeah. OSU is an enigma. We've diced them. I talked to Buckingham at practice last night. I'm like, what's your take? He's like, dude, I don't know. The Big 12's nuts. That's my take. Big 12's bad. Yeah, he's still bad, yeah. I mean, I'll go with that. But let's let's keep jumping around the bag. Big 12, we talked about Texas, talked OU, talked OSU. Uh, man, TCU, uh, that's another bad. one. I mean, come on, just completely non-competitive. Uh, Baylor, you know, goes and gets a, a nice win on the road against the Bearcats. Uh, Iowa State, you know, still sneaking around the hen house as the third best team. Kansas State, I told you last week, I thought looked different with that quarterback. Yeah. They have it figured out. It's a dangerous team. In Texas Tech's officially done. Are we calling it now? Yeah, I'm calling it on their ear. Okay. I don't think they're going to make a bowl game. Calling it done. McGuire, uh, the Big 12. And I said not, not three weeks ago, I think they have a chance to be the third best team in this conference. Dude, we've said that about every team in the league. Well, it's week. because that's that. a lot of times you can go, when you say that every week, it's because the league is good and it's balanced. Not this time. This year it's bad and it's balanced. I yeah. mean – to be honest with you, with what's going on in Texas right now, 
that's almost the worst thing that's happened to the Big 12 because whether they want Oklahoma and Texas to make the playoff, it's more money for the schools, right? right? What's going on with Texas right now is bad news because you thought at least those two teams, and they still could be. I mean, Texas could win these because the conference isn't great. But you thought OU and Texas were on a collision course for a rematch in the Big 12 title game. Winner will go to the college football playoff. Right. right now, you're in a spot where it could be Oklahoma going into the Big 12 title game playing a West Virginia, an Oklahoma State, Yikes. a Kansas, a Kansas State. And if one of them pulled the upset of Oklahoma, college football playoffs off the window. Two teams from this conference going to, like, say, the playoff and one to the Cotton Bowl, yeah. out the window. All of a sudden, that is money. It's just like it's it's the best worst-case scenario for this conference. So here's a scenario. OU, Texas, and OSU all finish with one loss in conference. Who gets in? God, I'd have to go to the new tie-breaking rules. Well, I don't know the tie-breaking rules, don't... but I was talking with my OSU friend about the scenario because OSU and Texas don't play each other. Yeah, exactly. So That's if OSU true. beats OU, then OU wins out, OSU wins out, and Texas wins out. That's all one loss. Yeah. I got a feeling then it would be Bedlam in there because at least OU and Texas That's would have I'm the head to head. That's what I'm you thinking. Know? Yeah. Isn't it the highest ranked team at the end of the year? Well, see, I don't know because see it changes. Used to that was all when they were head to head, you know. But they don't play each other, yeah. That's yeah. right. So that's yeah, so why OU would have the head OU, to head over Texas. Now what OSU would, would have the head to head right. over OU in this scenario. Right. I'm not hmm. too worried about any of that though. Yeah, I'll tell you, you what, guys, a dangerous game for Texas is on the schedule still Kansas State and Austin. Yeah. I'm telling you, watch that game. I don't care if yours is back or not, dangerous game. I don't think he's going to be back. back. I don't yeah, think so. I mean, three to four weeks. I don't think they're going to try to rush him back. Uh, they play BYU this week, which I'm not too concerned for them. BYU's five and two, solid team, yeah. solid team for sure. I still think Texas can squeak by and win that game. But yeah, that K State game, looking at that, I mean, they look like they're finding themselves to a certain extent. The backup quarterback they've been playing, I mean, he's an old school Bill yes. Snyder quarterback. He he's going to run that QB power from the ten yard line. He's going to score on it. And they're kind of flip-flopping him and Will Howard right now. But, I mean, they're definitely figuring it out to a certain extent. So Texas needs to be ready for that game. And they need to get Malik Murphy comfortable passing this week, especially going into that game. Because I think he's going to have to make some big throws in a game like that. Guys, I I talked to Joe Cook with Inside Texas about Malik Murphy before the season. And I thought, just looking at the guy, the athlete he is, he would Mm -hmm. be a good runner. He's not. He's not he a mobile. Does, does, I mean, no, people have jokingly mobile. said he's Vince Young. I'm like, no. No, 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 no. He is a pocket passer. Yeah. If, he, if he cannot, you know, produce polished passes in these games coming up, I don't like the way it looks for Texas guys. I mean, he's got a rocket arm, but he's got to find the accuracy. <laughs> he's got to control it. I'm telling you, go, go back. And he only threw, hey, he I'm, only threw two passes in that game. But good. go watch his not one good. incompletion. I, he threw it 110 miles per hour. I will say this. I, I still think, regardless. As long as he can produce offensively. I, I mean, like, for that game for Texas and Kansas State next week, I'm not near as worried about Texas defensively against Kansas State. We all think they got it figured out. That is still such a one-dimensional offense. That and, backup, and I'm man, telling you. He's one-dimensional. He's got I watched L. Roberson yeah. in that yeah, game. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm just like, it's. I still think they're fine as long as they can stop the run game. Yeah. But with that being said, even if you can stop the run game, if you can't produce, because at that point if – if Malik Murphy can't throw, yes, Kansas State can just stop the run game. Let's talk about yeah. another game, too, another coach that always plays Texas tough regardless of the situation. That's Matt Campbell and Iowa State. Yeah. So i got to play them. That's where I'm like – that's why I say I think te- for the Big 12, it's like the best worst case. They don't want to see OU and Texas play for the title and one of them take home the title. Or do they? But also they want the money. Right. So it's like the best worst case scenario for them. They may not have to see the Red River shootout in Dallas again. 
But at the same time, they may have cost them a team in the playoff and a team going to the Cotton Bowl. That's a lot of money these schools are going to miss out on. So it's it's very interesting. And let me tell you, I, I was just looking at the standings. We talked about this. Do you realize how many teams right now have one loss in the conference? Oh. Four. Okay. Of those four, it's Texas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Iowa State. Is it crazy just to think OSU only has one conference loss from where we were talking a few weeks ago? Exactly. Insane. Yeah. But here's the thing. Below that, there are another four schools with two losses. Oh, wow. It's not out of the realm of possibility. We say one loss, that there could be like six, seven schools all tied for second with two losses in this conference. No doubt. Then what happens, Reeves? You yeah, get your calculator on, out dude. on that one, Reeves. I'll Come on. really crunch the numbers on that one. <laughs> I mean, I'm not too sure. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up after looking at the standings. I'm like, dude, this. It's going to get wild down the this stretch. Be can, can we crazy. jump over to Southern Cal for a second? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Or Michigan. waiting for it. Michigan, yeah. Mr. Harbaugh, the spying art yeah. USC. We got to talk about that, too. But that situation's a little confusing to me, guys. I'm not going to lie. The, oh, the, the videos Michigan today thing. is no longer confusing, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I saw that. <clears throat> I mean, I saw that. I. <laughs> I don't even really have a take on this situation, to be honest with you. Well, Michigan. Michigan. We'll, we'll get into Michigan, Michigan in a minute. Yeah, let's, let's do Riley. Uh, I, I've got a take. I've got. I've switched my takes too. What Riley's going to take the Chargers job Monday? I mean, Dave, I did tell you all week Utah was going to win, so I'm just going to slip so that in I. right now. Yeah, you I told guys, you, you guys got lucky. I told USC you two had every right chance to win. Hey, I told you two months ago they, they were going to win. I know, I know, but uh, just a lack of physicalness in that game from USC. It, it, it's just. Apparent man. How about a running quarterback that Grinch still does not spy? He still has not learned that. I mean, four years. The last run to get them into field That's goal what I'm territory. About. Yep. Did that not just scream old OU football? It, dude. It yeah. it gave me flashbacks to the Adrian Martinez run last year. Yes. OUK State. He it was a big third and fifteen yep. to get off the field, get the ball back and go win. What does Martinez do? QB draw right up the middle, 70-yard touchdown, and he's dancing in the end zone while we're leaving hey, the stands. Can I go one more stat? It's easy, and Oklahoma fans love to do it. And I, to be honest, I don't totally understand why. Jump on Alex Grinch. Yeah, there are major issues there. But I've said this. There are two things I think that are we're all forgetting. It's not all Grinch. It's a toughness factor, and that's Riley bringing Benny Wiley into oh, Oklahoma, yeah. Riley taking him with him to USC. Because a lot of these plays we're talking about, it's not because the guys aren't there. We're talking missed tackles, right? We're talking guys sliding off, not being strong enough to make a tackle. What's the biggest difference in Oklahoma's defense now? Physicality. Physicality. That's not from a coordinator's point of view. And I'm not making Grinch out to be great. And then secondly, we can all crown his ass because he's the defending Heisman Trophy winner. How about this? Five games versus top 25 teams in his career. Caleb Williams. Okay. What's his completion percentage? Uh, I'm going to guess 67%. 55. Both of you are shooting high. Whoa. 51%. Oh. All right. Pass yards a game versus top 25 teams. Anyone got a guess? Reeves, what's your guess? 275. 246. 172. His touchdown to interception ratio, five games. Uh, What, I'll say two to one? Reeves? Yeah. Six touchdowns, six interceptions. Oh, my goodness. Guys, I've been saying it for two weeks. Have I not on this podcast when everyone wants to jump on? And I like Caleb Williams. If I'm an NFL team, I'm taking Caleb Williams. So this is not, you know, me bagging on the kid. But he is not perfect. 
he does not make plays in big games. I have a take to combat that. I think that when you have a defense as bad as he has had in his career, you feel pressure to do too much. He wants to be Superman every play. Exactly. And it, he kind of has to be with that defense, guys. Cause, you but know. that's also on coaching because against Notre Dame, he didn't have to be Superman. No, he didn't. The defense played fairly well. No, his He put them in put bad them. spots. Yes. That's what I'm saying. This kid has got to get it mentally right. Well, I mean, you talk physicality, but, I mean, the play that won Utah the game, that quarterback scrambled, there was just open areas. Oh, there's problems. But it's just – it's amazing to me that we all want to focus on the defense coordinator when I think the biggest problem – because it's on both sides of the ball. Yeah. It's physicality. Hey, I saw saw Wiley doing yoga. I saw Wiley doing yoga with him. They're good. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The (laughs) fact that he took Wiley, that's not the biggest shot because I've made this point before. Grinch was considered a top defensive coordinator prospect from Ohio State University. He was co-defense coordinator there when they brought him in. This guy didn't forget how to coach overnight. But you know what everyone did forget? How to get a strength and conditioning coach. Because when did it all go wrong for Riley? When Jerry Schmidt left for A&M. Well, if they thought that about Grinch, he was massively overrated. He's not a good D.C. guys. I want to give you talk some credit quick, and I want to hell yeah, I want to shout out <laughs> one player for them. I learned about him this week. He's the best two way player that no one knows about in college football. Starting safety for Utah, Sione Baki. He leads the team in tackles. Now Utah's had a lot of injuries in that running back room going on this year. I think their starter and their backup went out for a year. What has he done? He's now the running back for Utah because he played running back and receiver in college. What does he do in this game? Oh, he just leads Utah in tackles on defense, and then also he goes five catch or five targets, five catches, 150 yards, two touchdowns. Damn. Then on the ground, he goes nine carries for 68 yards, while also leading them in tackles. Best two-way player in college football. No one's talking about Sione Vaki. Was he was he a walk on? Was he a walk on like their quarterback that just beat USC was? Dude, <laughs> it's crazy. Well, all right, hey, enough on USC. I'm telling you right now. I said four losses. I you think did. I, I think I undershot. You did. And then Lincoln I mean, skipping. you give me Caleb Williams as a quarterback, I'm telling you it's a three-loss season. Lincoln skipping. Good call, Mr. Mitchell, because we've seen this song mm. and dance before. No, not, he's not going to be mm. there today. And then what was it, the next week he accepts the USC job? Not making his players available after the game? Yeah. No, that wasn't the next week. He did that midseason kind of like this one. Okay. Where he missed the press conference. Yeah. It was during the bye week. He magically missed the press conference. Baylor, Baylor just week. like this. Yeah. I know. Well, it's I heard a week. lot of rumors during that Baylor week. He was down in Southern Cal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, he's a Weasley guy. I mean, look, he's a great offensive mind, one of the best of our uh, generation. But he is, just my opinion, he's a Weasler of a guy. Just there's that, no character. He there. has flaws, man, and I, I think it's his ego. I've said this all year. I think it's his ego to where he wants to prove everyone wrong. I can win this way. I can win with a future Hall of Fame, maybe quarterback. And I can win without having a physical defense. I can score all the points in the world, and I'm going to prove everyone wrong. But, guys, you run into a team like Utah, it's not going to work. We've seen this five times now. Does Utah have the better athletes or players? No, not even close. But, guys, they are by far and away the more physical team every time they line up against USC. Well, it's not just Utah. I mean, it's not, guys. I mean, Notre Dame was. Notre Dame was. I mean, Much more it, physical. I'm telling you, Washington and Oregon were, you know, and will be. I mean, it's one of those things. It's hard for me to look, and that's why, to me, it was easy early in the season to go, they got four losses coming up. And I counted, you know, now all of a sudden I'm like, heck, they could stub their toe against anyone else in the Pac-12. UCLA, they still Cal. play. Who's that's around. what I mean. That could be the other one. It's like, it's not a good matchup for them. And as good as we say Riley is, he is – 
he's another guy that's not good in the big moments. You know, he I think he gets ego-wise, starts calling big plays, going for the home run instead of just, hey, last week, last week, this is where I say it again. This is on Riley as much as it is yeah. anyone. Run the ball. Your running back is gashing them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just gashing them. 12 yards top. a carry for seven carries. Good grief. And only seven carries. I yeah. Mean, that's just ridiculous. Is, is it time to call it like it was at OU that he ran through a bad conference year after year and then got exposed when it matters? It's that. And also, how about this? His recruiting? Think about OU. Every year, he's at Oklahoma. Started gradually going down talent level-wise. USC. First year, he's using other guys' players and his transfer portal guys. Second year, it gets a little worse. What is next year going to be like when Caleb Williams isn't there? Is Riley still there? Well, I'm just saying, let's say he is. Okay. You know, he's got another good I don't think Riley assesses character accurately when recruiting players. If you you even go back to the recruiting class we had when we got five or three five-star receivers, Hazelwood, Weiss, and Bridges. Bridges, yeah. Weiss is still at Houston, and he's having a good year, but he transferred. And then the other two, well, Hazelwood transferred to Arkansas. Yeah. He never really worked out at OU. Then Bridges. Arrested. Arrested. So, yeah. I mean, I just. I, but I, I'll I say, don't think there's any culture with Lincoln. Right? I, but that's I'll the say thing. This, I think I it's a culture it's problem. On yeah, that, it's too. not character because, guys, let's be real. Those three receivers, every team in the country was recruiting. They would have taken them. Every team in the still, country would have I think Grant them. is much more precise at. I, you know, I looking think, at character. I don't I think, think he's probably more it. careful. I think he's I, more careful with character. Maybe, but I don't think any of those guys. None of those guys had character issues coming in. Zero. But Not there are guys you could look at. Brendan Radley Hiles. Everyone would have taken him too, yeah. but his character was obviously off. But none of that was in high school. None of that. Part of that character becomes from within the program after they get here. What I'm saying well, is... that's Lincoln. What I'm saying... Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's not about character before they recruit him and, like, he's not checking them out. Because what I'm trying to say is... There's no crystal ball. Those three receivers, yeah. Brent Venables and his staff would have taken all three of those receivers. I'm telling you right now, Trajan Bridges was the best of those no three doubt. receivers. No doubt. He made a dumb mistake. I just think... You know? I think Venables... I'm with you, Reeves. I think Venables puts a little bit more stock into really looking at behind the scenes, not just football first when he's recruiting. That's just my take on it. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. I mean, but I'm just saying the character in general, I think happens after they get under Riley. Because... That's a culture issue on Riley's end. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't have so much with doing the research before recruiting them. It's when you get them on there, what you let them do. Yeah. And I think we're seeing some of that from Caleb Williams this year with his attitude yes. in the post-game press conference. Yes. Because we didn't see that at Oklahoma. He hadn't been in it long enough. It seemed like a good kid. Last year at USC, did he not seem normal when everything was going right? Yeah. And it's a culture thing within the program after they get there. I don't think it's as much a culture thing before they get there. Well, I mean, to your point, there's no crystal ball these coaches can look into and right. see what's going to happen. All right, I'm tired of talking USC. Let's yeah. talk Michigan. Let's talk Michigan. Uh, Jim. <laughs> This is so Jim Harbaugh, it hurts, guys. Uh, a spying scandal that has just exploded this week. Hey, can I go one thing real fast, Let's and then it. I'll let your thoughts. Guys, I went from earlier in the year going, earlier in the week or over the weekend when it first kind of broke, what's the big deal? You know, no big deal. What's come out the last two days? Big. Holy crap. Buying tickets. A coach that makes 50000 a year has bought tickets to thir- two tickets to 30 different Big Ten games. Yeah. Paid way over face value for him. First of all, moron, under his name, he did it. (laughs) Secondly, did you see the highlights from the Ohio State? And I know they went and... I mean, first drive of the game. I mean, we'll all admit, there's rumors that Venables can still sign better than any of them, right? But it's as the game goes on. Right. 
Nothing wrong with that. They're doing it the first drive of the game. They make an audible, and all of a sudden, the entire defensive staff and players for Michigan are pointing for their audible. Yeah, yeah. Guys, this is bad. What happens? Your guys' now? thoughts. What What happens now is my thought. Where does it go from here? I mean, how how bad is the? It's it's not like a death penalty situation, obviously, but is it a bull ban situation? I mean, oh, I don't, know. I, I don't think anyone will get the death penalty, but if there's anyone that should, this should be one. They, they'll talk about it. It's that. I bad mean, their reason. wins are going to get vacated. I'll tell you that. They're which, not going to the playoff this year. If the NCAA does a, if they act on this, but look, I mean. I hate to switch this to basketball, but really quick, with how much Kansas has cheated in basketball, and then Oklahoma State gets the tournament ban, and Kansas yeah. gets let off easy. Yeah. Is it going to be a similar case where, oh, Michigan's in the top four, we're going to go a little easy on them. Now, if this was a mid-major team, maybe we'd ban them. Hey, hey, guys, let's call it like it is. They look like the best team in college football right now, yeah. top to bottom. Can I say this also, though? There's a difference in these two things. NCAA makes their money off the NCAA basketball tournament. NCAA doesn't make anything off That's Division true. One college football. So if they want to level the boom, they're like, all right, it's not hurting us. We're not making any money. We'll go ahead and level the boom. Because all the money for this, this is not, this is an NCAA sanctioned sport, but in a way it's not. It's kind of weird. Because yeah. like when you look on the NCAA records for national champions, the FCS is the title that's listed under right. NCAA. It's weird. I'm, I'm just curious to see what happens because this is such a distraction for it, Michigan distra- too. It's, it's unprecedented, right? And I mean, they still win 49-0 this week. Who do they have this week? Michigan. Not sure. They pummeled Michigan this State. This is Penn week. State week, is it? No, no, I don't think so. I think it's in two weeks is when they play Penn State. If I'm Michigan, just to appease the NCAA, you know what I'm doing? I'm walking into Jim, and I know he's already been suspended for four games this year. I'm like, hey, Jim, watch this one from home. <laughs> what you want? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stay home, buddy. Yeah. You know, why don't we just Michigan's look like... Michigan's off this week. Oh, oh I couldn't come okay, in a better crap. time. A week, better but, or worse or time, because like I say, I'd like them to be playing Rutgers if I was Michigan going, hey, hey, Jim, we're going to look like we're doing something. Right. Y- you just sit there. Sit there at home. I mean, talk about the easiest schedule maybe in college football. No doubt. Year. No doubt. That's yeah. why, I mean... It's, I know it's they hard. have to go on the road to Happy Valley, which is one of the hardest environments, but guys, that doesn't happen until week 11. They... Have a bye this week, then they get Purdue at home, so they'll be undefeated into that game. Holy cow, what an easy schedule! That, that's why all this comes out. It's hard to say they're the best team, but you know, just the metrics of what a team looks like, the yeah. eye test. All you can do is measure what you see. Right now, I think they're the best team in college football. I think we've all said that for the last couple of weeks because they're the only team out there that has put together both sides of the ball in games. You know, on a consistent basis, that the defenses look good and the offense has been solid. Yeah. There's not many elite, elite defenses in college football. Like, I would not call OU's elite. I'd call nope. it barely the step under. I think they're right there. Michigan now, their defense is elite. I like, think Michigan, Georgia. Georgia's definitely yeah. elite defense. Uh, you could throw Notre Dame in there for how they looked versus SC, but there might be a game I'm missing where they – I think they gave up like 35 to Louisville. So yeah, I mean – Oh, they also had Ohio State beat – the they end. played great defense for Ohio State, though. Yeah. Guys, that Ohio State offense does not impress me. That pretty Penn... good. Well, I mean, they were good. Yeah. I mean, they have Marvin Harrison is yeah, the best receiver say, in the nation. The so he's going to. Yeah. Their running backs are really good. Really, what I meant by that is the quarterback doesn't blow me away. But on the same note, you can have a mid tier quarterback on that team and get by. No doubt. I, I fully agree with you, Reeves. Yeah. Um, it's, it's 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 a crazy year. Well, can't wait to get into it. But uh, I mean, we've diced up the Big Twelve. We'll get into uh, more matchups coming up this week in the Pick'em. 
Oklahoma visits Kansas 11 o'clock Saturday. Big noon kickoff. And uh, we'll have more for you guys later this week uh, right here on the DNR College Football Report through 107.7 The Franchise. Randy Heights, Reese Mitchell, Dave Myrick. We'll talk to you guys down the road.